0: Hello, this is Dr. Dan Guerra coming to you from Authentic Biochemistry Studios in the Inland-Pacific Northwest. Today is the 17th of January 2021. Now, yesterday I was talking to you about the Midas senescent pathway. Remember that if you have a mitochondrial function that becomes damaged, particularly in any cell line that is functional as potentially proliferative, you can induce a senescence growth arrest that is distinct from the SASP phenotype. Now, SASP, remember, is pro-inflammatory. It can occur in the central nervous system as well as the periphery. And because it's a senescence phenotype, it's associated with aging. And of course, it's linked directly to the immune response because SASP signals out interleukin-1-dependent pro-inflammatory responses. But cells that have a mitochondrial dysfunction, and the the terminology here is mitochondrial dysfunction-associated senescence or MIDAS, have a lower NAD to NADH ratio. That's because they have some kind of malfunction in the oxidation of NADH, which means that the electron transport chain is not functioning correctly. There's a lot of reasons for that. You can think about substrate availability. You can think about issues with the electron transport chain itself in terms of uh, paramutations or epimutations in genes that code for the proteins in that uh, signaling pathway, in that um, essentially uh, reductive, oxidative reductive pathway. But The real issue is, for for our discussion, is that you get growth arrest, and you get a prevention of interleukin-1 associated SASP. And that's because you get an AMP kinase mediated p53 activation. Now, I told you last time, that even though that lowers the immune response, and even though it can be considered as contrarian to the SASP response, for example, in the central nervous system in aging humans, The issue that we should be considering is that the animal model that this has been well studied in shows that the Midas phenotype for senescence is linked to progeria, which means advanced early aging and otherwise healthy adult mammals, okay? So that was published back in Cell Metabolism in 2016. Now, that was one of the little tidbits I have to bring forward today. The other thing I mentioned to you is that there are major changes in some proteins that modify gene expression uh, in neurons. One of them was the high mobility group protein B1 or HMGB1, and you lose nuclear localization of HMGB1 in the midas phenotype. Now, I told you that that can raise issues with the innate and the acquired immune response because that particular protein, HMGb1, is involved in chaperoning DNA, RNA-mediated recombination repair as well as transcription, and particularly in T and B lymphocytes, chromatin remodeling associated with recombination of the VDJ locus. So this can render genome stability, but because you're generating an anti-inflammatory cytokine called interleukin-10, it's also going to give you essentially a non-activated anti-inflammatory locus. Now, that's localized in sensitive tissue that could otherwise proliferate, such as in oncogenic loci, then you can result in cancer. Okay. So remember that that's how this functions. And remember also that the um, proteins that are involved in regulating overall gene expression in the nucleus, the lamin proteins, as well as this HMGB1, um, all become dysregulated in the Midas pathway. So that makes sense that you would get a senescent or non-proliferating phenotype, but the non-proliferating phenotype also means that you have a loss of immune response. And in the central nervous system, besides circulating T lymphocytes, which do of course occur in the brain uh, because of resident um, quiescent T lymphocytes that exist there throughout the lifetime, and that can be activated upon infection or autoallergen activation. You can uh, result in the ablation of growing cancers in the central nervous system because of T lymphocyte activation. Now, if you don't have the HMGB1 protein in the nucleus, you're not going to be able to do recombination, and therefore, you're not going to be able to activate correctly T lymphocytes, even though most of those have already been programmed for specific antigens, you still need some of that recombination to make subsets of T lymphocytes so that they can activate associated with the microglia, okay? So that's kind of like a background of all of this. Also, remember that among the cytokines, that can be produced by tolerogenic dendritic cells, this is going to be in the periphery, but it's also going to be, but the microglia can also act the same way. So you can, you can just rewrite what I just said, among the cytokines produced by tolerogenic dendritic cells or microglia, interleukin-10 becomes a very important regulatory cytokine because it limits and it will terminate excessive APC T-cell associated responses, particularly to microbial pathogens but also to chronic inflammation or neurodegeneration, such as in Parkinson's disease and Alzheimer's, okay? So that was uh, what I was kind of leaving you with last time. That was all published, uh, oh, a year or two ago. Now, I'm gonna tell you this. Glia can produce interleukin-10, as I just mentioned, and also there are several related cytokines in that family, interleukin-19 and 24, for example, and those cytokines have been shown to limit glial inflammatory responses. And uh, therefore there is a limitation on an immune response in the CNS, which can f- provide protection from neurodegeneration as in association with a CNS insult. Now that was published back in Frontiers in Cell and Neuroscience back in November of 2018. Now, jump up a little bit, and let me tell you about a paper published in the National Journal of Molecular Sciences uh, in 2019, late 2019, December. And I, don't worry, I'll put all these in the show notes. Now, first of all, I have to explain about a certain um, system that, that will allow me to elaborate on why interleukin-10 is significant central nervous system in the aging brain. You have parasites. Now, parasites are branch cells, and they're they're basically found in the wall of capillary blood vessels. So they're found everywhere, right? And they're they're part of the mass microvasculature basement membrane. And they're involved in wrapping endothelial cells, which of course are localized there. And they establish this strong physical content um, that is linked to whether or not the endothelial endothelial cells can function um, to generate new basement membrane upon damage. So the way that that functions is that these parasites regulate angiogenesis, blood vessel stabilization, and they contribute also, now this is very important, to blood brain and blood retina barrier, okay? Now, these parasites give rise to multi-lineage progenitor cells. Now, unfortunately, many of those progenitor cells end up turning into mesenchymal stem cells. Now, you know those can be progenitors to potential potential tumor cell lineages. Now, anti-inflammatory molecules like interleukin 10 TGF-beta, and indeed even the MHC class 2 or HLA class 2 are increased in glioblastoma-activated parasites. And in fact, they are responsible for tumorigenesis in that system. So when you get a touting of having interleukin-10 being anti-inflammatory and useful, even the central nervous system to prevent neurodegeneration at the same time, okay, coherently, contrarian, but coincidentally, having a Midas phenotype versus a SAS phenotype, which is pro-inflammatory, Midas-anti, you can generate a system where there can be an increase in tumorigenesis. So cell fate is important in the aging brain, either neuroinflammation or proliferation of cancer cells leading to very important disease, um, glioblastoma. Okay. So that's why I'm bringing this up to you. So in fact, the incidence of glioblastoma Megaforma, that's GBM, is the name of the disease, uh, is apparently 3.4 times higher with people over the age of 65 as compared to those younger than 65. And of course, the mortality rate for people over 65 with GBM is a full sevenfold higher than for GBM patients that are younger than 65. So, an age associated disease is GBM. Now that comes from a paper published in Frontier in Pharmacology, and I'll put it in the show notes. So last paper I want to talk about right here about the negative aspect of having the mitos phenotype in the central nervous system is a paper published in Neurooncology. This was just last March 2020. So there's a lot of targeting of immune checkpoint proteins, uh, and that's because if you can Block the PD1, uh, PDL uh, pathway or the CTLA4 pathway, you can reactivate or maintain the activation of T lymphocytes, right? So people want to do that because activated T lymphocytes can, of course, function to ablate neotumors. So there's the inducible T cell co stimulator ligand called ICOSLG. Okay, And that's a member of the B7 family of immune regulatory ligands that are involved in T cell activation. Their expression in cancer uh, has demonstrated that they're implicated in disease progression. And that's because they, the regulation of anti-tumor adaptive immunity is progressive with these proteins, with these ICOS LGs. Now, aberrant ICOS-LG expression, therefore, uh, is important to take a look at. And this paper reports that you see aberrant expression of it in glioma cells. And that might be the underlying mechanism that promotes glioblastoma progression. Okay, So what they found was that Um, using bioinformatics and doing doing basically a GBM tissue microarray uh, of transcripts. They see an upregulation of this ICOS-LG, and it's associated, of course, with poor prognosis in patients with GBM. In fact, ICOS-LG expression is upregulated preferentially in mesenchymal cells, okay, but not in proneural cells, and this is in a tumor necrosis factor, al- nuclear factor, kappa B-dependent manner, right, which we were just talking about with Mitis. So ICOS algae expression by mesenchymal uh, cell lineages promote the expansion of T-cells that produced interleukin-10. So inhibition of the ICOS-LG-inducible co-stimulator axis in glioblastoma may be really useful because of the production of interleukin-10 as a sequential product of that induction down that pathway. So this is telling you one more time how interleukin-10, generating from the Midas phenotype and senescence, which is considered sometimes neuroprotective because it prevents neurodegeneration, can at the same time promote tumors in the brain, particularly the most significant uh, brain tumor, particularly in the elderly, as I just mentioned to you, and deadly in the elderly, um, GBM, uh, glioblastoma, megaform. Okay? Now, more about interleukin-10. So, you think about immune modulatory signaling in antigen-presenting cells, and you want to consider what interleukin-10 does, first of all, it binds to its receptor, okay? So you get an activation of the interleukin-10 junk kinase or Janus kinase 1, tyrosine kinase 2 signal transduction pathway. And that's all going to then activate STAT3. That's the signal transducer and activator of transcription. So interleukin-10 binds to its interleukin-10 our alpha dimer receptor, okay? You also have an interleukin-10 receptor beta, which forms now a tetramer in the membrane, okay? So you've got interleukin-10 binding. Now, what that does is cause the phosphorylation of STAT6, because it's a tyrosine kinase, these jack kinases are tyrosine kinases, and, and so are the um, beta subunits of that receptor. So the JAK kinases are going to phosphorylate STAT-6. Now, when STAT-6 is phosphorylated, that's going to um, not allow for the transcription in the nucleus of interleukin-4 and interleukin-13. Now, that's really important because interleukin-4 and interleukin-13 are what? They are pro-inflammatory, okay? So follow me here what's going on. Once you do this tyrosine kinase, Jack kinase phosphorylation of STAT6, you block the pro inflammatory response. At the same time, the interleukin 10 bound to its receptor, Jack kinase, tyrosine kinase 2 pathway, will take STAT3, it's another isoform of that same protein, right? That's the signal transducer and activator of transcription. That's what STAT is. It'll it'll make a dimer that phosphorylate that dimer of STAT3. That will go on to act as a transcription factor, but it's going to cause the expression of two proteins, okay? One of them is going to be the suppressor of cytokine signaling 3, which we've talked about before. That's SOX3. And the other one is the interleukin-1 receptor antagonist, or IL-1RN. Now, the SOX3 will inhibit mitogen-activated protein kinase, MAP kinase activation, which is going to associate with NF-kappa-B translocation into the nucleus and a subsequent induction of pro-inflammatory gene expression. Okay, so that's going to be blocked because of SOX3, expressed because of STAT3 phosphorylation by interleukin-10 binding to its receptor. So now you have two different modes of uh, mechanism which is going to shut off the pro-inflammatory response because MAP kinase gets blocked, and MAP kinase is a very potent pro-inflammatory transcription mediating factor in the nucleus of cells that are going to make those, such as antigen-presenting cells. Right. So you're going to block that because of the SOX. Now the interleukin-1R uh, N is going to do the same thing. It's going to bind to the interleukin-1 receptor, so it's going to act as a decoy to the normal interleukin-1, which of course is pro-inflammatory, it's going to bind to that receptor. And because of that, you're going to inhibit interleukin-1 beta signaling, right? Which means you're not going to run the NF-kappa B and you're not going to run pro-inflammatory genes, right? So the whole thing gets shut down by interleukin-10. So the mechanism is well described, both in the periphery and the central nervous system. And again, I want you to get where I'm coming from here. The whole point I'm, I'm making is that within the central nervous system, you have this SASP, right? That's this uh, senescence-associated secretory phenotype, which is pro-inflammatory in the central nervous system associated with aging. And then you have the mitis, which is a mitochondrial dysfunctional secretory system, also in the central nervous system. But when you get that linked to the microglia in the CNS, you suppress the immune response, and that can lead to glioblastoma. At the same time, overreactive SAS can lead to neurodegeneration and diseases like what? Alzheimer's, Parkinson's disease, right? Okay. So you get how those can be coherent and coincidental, right? And they're not uh, contradictory. They don't rule one another out right? They're contrarian in the pathophysiological disease state of the aging central nervous system, okay? And that's all resultant in the generation of cell fate. So let's wrap up a couple other discussions here. And a paper published in Aging Cell, it's a journal, tells us that cellular senescence, of course, is an irreversible cell cycle arrest, and it occurs in any somatic cell, right? That's part of this whole um, driving of age-associated disease. So we know that mitochondria are implicated in the presence of, uh, of certain senescence phenotypes, right? And that's because mitochondria are the source of targets and not only the target of, but the generator of reactive oxygen. And we know that. Now, Let's get out of the central nervous system and talk about the heart of the aging population. In the heart, oxidative stress contributes to pathological cardiac aging. And so the question is, why is there an overproduction of reactive oxygen? Now, I talked about this in the past in terms of dysfunction of um, quenching of reactive oxygen in the mitochondria. So How about the fact that mitochondrial enzyme monoamine oxidase, okay, is also a source of reactive oxygen in the heart? And what it does is generate, of course, hydrogen peroxide. And that's because it's involved in the degradation, here we go, of one of the substrates of monoamine oxidase, and that is norepinephrine and indeed, serotonin two neurotransmitters. So you can make reactive oxygen by degrading norepinephrine and serotonin via monoamine oxidase. Now, the potential link between the monoamine oxidase and the senescence has not been well studied, but in this paper uh, published in 2018, they used cardiomyoblasts and primary cardiomyocytes, and they showed that chronic MAO, isoform A, that's monoamine oxidase, isoform A activation, mediated by a synthetic and a physiological introduction of either tyramine or norepinephrine, which are going to be substrates for that monoamine oxidase, will induce a reactive oxygen species-dependent DNA damage response, a DDR that's going to cause activation of cyclin-dependent kinase inhibitors, and we talked about a couple of these: p21cip, p16ink4a. Please go back and listen to previous lectures. I spent a lot of time on this right before Thanksgiving, as I recall, and also the p15ink4beta. And typical features of all of this are senescence as the result of these cyclin-dependent kinase inhibitors being generated, right? Because it's inhibiting what? It's inhibiting potential for mitosis, right? Because they are cyclin-dependent kinase inhibitors. So it's going to result in senescence, which is going to cause cell flattening, right? It's going to also cause serum-associated beta-galactosidase activity to increase. And we talked about that as an important phenotype in senescence, including the Midas pathway I just have gone over. So this paper says that they found ROS produced by the monoamine oxidase led to accumulation of p53, just like mitis, in the cytosol, and in this system, it inhibited a protein called Parkin. Now, Parkin is an important regulator of mitophagy, which is mitochondrial turnover, and that results in mitochondrial dysfunction. Now, this is in the heart. Now, on top of that, they show that the mTOR kinase contributes to mitophagy dysfunction, because it enhances P53 cytoplasmic accumulation, which is gonna result in this, turning on this entire pathway. So the restoration of mitophagy, which you can get by an overexpression of the Parkin protein, or by using um, rapamycin that is inhibiting mTOR, can actually prevent mitochondrial dysfunction and that induction of senescence. So what they demonstrate is a novel link between the monoamine oxidase and senescence and the cardiomyocytes. And that might suggest a way to control the progression of heart disease, particularly heart failure and other oxidative stress, uh, cardiac muscle diseases associated with aging pathology. Okay? So there's another whole concept that we had not talked about before but which is important in this entire pathway. Now, another paper published in 2018, and this is from the International Heart Journal, so it's going to be just as important as what, the one we were just talking about because it's going to be back in the heart, tells the following. The International Heart Journal paper uh, published two years ago said that cellular senescence played a central role in the progression of pathological changes in failing heart, They remind us that sympathetic nervous system is activated in patients with heart failure and the change is associated with, of course, a poor clinical outcome in this pathology. So sympathetic activation increases the levels of catecholamines like norepinephrine. And the contribution of those catecholamines to cellular senescence and therefore heart failure was further demonstrated by this group they found that catecholamine infusion into an induced senescence of endothelial cells, and in fact, they also looked at bone marrow cells for reasons I can describe later, promoted cardiac dysfunction in a mouse model, okay? So the continuous infusion of an isoproteranol-induced cardiac inflammation and cardiac dysfunction was realized in this system. And why? Because you got an expression of P53, which of course is a master regulator of cellular senescence. And and it's increased whenever there is a problem with um, cardiac tissue exposed to reactive oxygen. So a suppression of cellular senescence by deleting P53 in cardiac endothelial cells or indeed in bone marrow cells in this mouse model actually improved cardiac performance. So this is another really important issue here. Now we're talking cardiovascular disease. I left the central nervous system and talked about how many of these phenotypes are associated with either neurodegeneration or potential for glioblastoma, depending on what kind of senescence phenotype you generated. Now I've just explained how the same kind of phenotype can be generated in the aging heart. So I'm going to leave you with those two uh, pathologies um, this morning and get back to our discussion of CRF in the brain and in the periphery as another major hormone peptide regulator of the aging process. So all of this discussion I had in the last, I guess, three lectures is to get you to understand the nuances of senescence-associated disease with the aging process. This is Dr. Dan Guerra from Authentic Biochemistry Studios saying bye for now on the 17th of January 2021.